Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news, evolving methods of providing legal service, and law practice issues. My name is Mary Vandenack, founder and managing partner at Vandenack Weaver LLC. I'll be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about closely held business, tax, trusts and estates, legal technology, law firm leadership, and well-being. Before we start today's episode, I want to thank our sponsor. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of Interactive Legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. On today's episode, I have Brian Holan. He's a financial advisor with InSource Benefits Group and Monty Schatz, who's a member with me at Vandenack Weaver. Today, we're going to talk about estate planning for agricultural clients. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. Good to be here. And welcome, Monty. Thanks for having me again, Mary. So can each of you, and we'll start with Brian, just share with me briefly what your primary role is in assisting clients with estate planning? Sure. Uh, you know, I, I grew up on a farm ranch operation about three hours west of here. And uh, so it, it seems like over my career, over the last, last 20 plus years, I've kind of been the guy that people have talked to about uh, farm and estate planning. And I, I guess I kind of think of myself as a quarterback of a team. I mean, we bring in the products and the people that we need in order to get a, a, a solid plan in place, find solutions, and the people that uh, can get the, get the plan accomplished. So with farmers, sometimes that might be lenders, bankers, might be attorneys, might be accountants, might be... All of the above. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of people involved, and not to mention the family members as well. Yeah, the family, that's a really good point. That's probably the most important people to yeah. get engaged in that conversation. So, Monty, can you just talk a little bit about what you do regarding estate planning in the agricultural area? Yeah, so so I view uh, estate planning in the agriculture area uh, kind of mirroring three things. Obviously, estate planning, but tied in with that usually is a discussion of how to pass the farm on either to existing family members or probably another party that might not be a family member and tied in with that, helping them on a good business plan with that to do that. I, You know, we often talk about those in separate shells, but they're all come together to make a good estate plan. And my job is to work with people like Brian and, and other advisors to create a well-organized plan that will protect the farm during the life of the person who has the estate plan and help them pass it on successfully with their goal, estate planning goals in mind at their deaths. 
It might be a farm, might be a ranch too. I kind right. of include both farming and ranching in Absolutely. the ag- yep. when I refer to the agricultural industry. So, it's, what are some of the unique issues, Brian, for clients in the agricultural industry related to estate planning? Well, I think you know probably the the number one issue, and, and anyone that grew up in that environment understands there is an emotional attachment to the farm. And sometimes this clouds the decision making. And so as advisors, we have to just be sure that we make sure that everybody is thinking clearly. Uh, I had a wise old farmer tell me one time when it, when, when it all comes down to it, he said, all this really is, is dirt. And so people shouldn't fight over dirt and families shouldn't divide over dirt. And so that's, I've always remembered that, that quote, because I think that's a great quote. And it, and it kind of bring, brings everything back down to to ground zero, but a lot of times, uh, maybe a family, I mean, my particular uh, family, we've got farmland that's been in our family for over 100 years. And so there becomes an emotional attachment. Maybe it's the tree house that's up in the tree on the place, and they're going to knock that tree down so they can run a center pivot irrigation system on it. Uh, that's all emotional, and, and even the off-farm partners or the off-farm kids uh, get involved in that, and they don't want to see certain things happen that may make sense for the operation, and they just don't, they don't get it. So you, you have a lot of different emotions and a lot of different agendas that come uh, to the table. Uh, and so... Uh, a lot of times if you can't leave an inheritance that you believe is fair to everyone, that's where we bring in the life insurance. Uh, because the second thing that, you know, is kind of unique, I think, to farmers is that the wealth is often illiquid. And so uh, farmers invest in farmland. They don't invest in mutual funds as a general rule. And so a lot of times their focus is on keeping the, the enterprise intact and keeping everything moving forward on the operation. Uh, another thing that comes in uh, to play is is the amount of debt these guys uh, take on. Uh, I mean, it's not unusual just for the uh, operating note to be you know a million plus uh, that they're that they're dealing with. So farmers frequently live on borrowed money until the crops come in or until the cattle are sold or the hogs are sold, and so uh, sometimes there's just uh, uh, there's just an, a strong need to cover cover that in the event of an untimely death or disability or something like that. Uh, the next thing would be the fluctuating uh, economy uh, for farmers. Uh, the commodity prices go up and down, uh, and sometimes in a very short time frame, you're looking at all of a sudden they're making a lot of money to they're not making any money or vice versa. And so sometimes financing the solutions can be a little bit difficult, so we have to find creative ways to finance those in the good years and the bad years on the farm. Uh, And then uh, I would say also farming is a dangerous occupation. So you got to consider the risks. Uh, People have untimely deaths and untimely disabilities. And so it's important, uh, you know, to plan for those things and make sure that it doesn't bring the operation down if any of that happens. And then finally, I would just say uh, to equal, the goal would be to equalize the estate and be fair to everybody to the successors, you know, whether they be on the farm or not on the farm and, and keep peace with everyone, keep the farm intact and keep the family intact. So that'd be a discussion we have a lot. So we have some clients in the agricultural industry who have maybe some of the, a couple of the family members have joined the operation. A couple have not have gone off to the city or somewhere and are doing something entirely different. 
and what does fair, you know, fair look like is a question, right? Absolutely. And, and those emotions come into play frequently. And, and sometimes I serve as a referee and, and just try and, you know, bring peace back to everybody and help everybody on the table understand. And sometimes the off, uh, off the farm or off the ranch uh, family members think that they understand what's going on when in reality, you know, agriculture is like any other industry. It's changing. Technology is absolutely making a world of difference in, in, uh, in the way that even the land looks out there. I was out to my family farm a, a couple weeks ago, and I couldn't believe how many farm places were missing, how many trees were missing. You know, they're farming every square inch in some cases, and and even that, in that sort of thing, brings in some some emotion. And and uh, sometimes the off off farm uh, family members don't quite understand all that. Simone, do you have anything different or add relative to kind of the unique issues that you deal with when working with agricultural clients? Yeah, just playing a little bit on that theme of fairness. You know, it's it's always an ideal goal. I shouldn't say always. It's frequently an ideal goal to, to equalize. But I, I think one of the things, the myth is fair isn't always equal among all the heirs of the farm. It, it may, you know, there may have to be some things that favor the on on the farm sibling that stayed on the farm and so forth so we try to equalize that and as brian alluded to you can do that with insurance if it, uh, and of course one of the challenges you always have is when typically does somebody start talking about getting insurance well it's already when they may be at an advancing age when those premiums are going to get extremely high so then you may what you may have to do is hand in hand with that maybe go into some form of uh, seller finance agreements through a trust or maybe even through the estate uh and, and, and or with the existing tenants where, where the land is purchased out in installments and so forth, which may have some tax benefits to keep some liquidity intact for the on-farm on operating sibling because the, the other problem, the other side of the liquidity problem you have is that that child that stays on the farm, um, you know, in, in the attempt to try to equalize those that are off the farm, um, if they're having to pay a lot of cash outflow on this thing to the non-farm children, I mean, it could it could be a real operating problem for them, too. And then you tie that in with having to deal with programs like through the Farm Services Agency and so forth, and incident of trust, that adds another layer of, of complications when you apply for those farm programs and so forth, because it isn't just the trustee that can do that, and you have to have the other... Uh, beneficiaries of the trust perhaps involved in that process as well too so all, all kinds of issues there's there's they're not insurmountable but it's definitely adds a le- level of complexity to the process and planning in advance and having the discussions about them because the right answer for each family can be a little bit different right i've seen yeah. successful operations where the non-operating kids continue to own pieces of it, no problem. I've seen other cases, that's where we end up in litigation. So it's partly a matter of, dis- of structure, discussion, and design specific to the family member. Well, Brian, you ran through, uh, did a really phenomenal job of listing some of the unique issues to the farm. But one of the things I'd really like to, because you're an expert on the different types of insurance and agriculture, and you covered some of them as you went through there. But I'd really kind of like you to go through that list a little bit and say, here's, you know, here's some of the unique coverages that you see in this industry, and here's what it's designed, you know, to the problem it's designed to solve. Yeah, uh, and there are a number that are, are pretty unique uh, to ag ranch farm operations. Uh, the 
uh, loss of, of crops or the loss of, of cattle. Uh, a couple of years ago, we saw, you know, a lot of ranchers. I know some ranchers up in northeast uh, Nebraska that watched their uh, – big part of their cattle herd go down the river in a flood. And so there are ways of covering those with insurance. Uh, there's federal crop insurance for, in the case of a, a hail storm, uh, that would that would help them out on a, on a crop loss. Uh, there's also price loss coverage. They can do that, you know, through the Board of Trade, or they can uh, also buy, uh, you know, the federal federal crop insurance program through uh, through some of their, their crop insurance uh, people that take care of them. There's also uh, equipment loss. I mean, that's getting to be a pretty big big deal with uh, you know the amount of technology that these guys are working with. Uh, my nephew operates our family farm essentially from his phone, uh, so his uh, irrigation systems are uh, operated from his phone. Uh, GPS on the tractors and combines and uh, you know there's just a, a lot of technology there and with that comes a high price tag uh, the center pivot systems I actually have a client who uh, builds and, and installs and sells uh, center pivot irrigation systems and he said you know uh, this is out south central Nebraska he said it's not unusual at all for us to uh, replace 50 to 100 uh, units per year uh, from wind blowover and, you know, each one of those probably costs $175,000, $100,000 and up for those systems, depending on how much, uh, how much technology they have on them. So then beyond that, I think, uh, you know, certainly every operation ought to think about disability insurance. Uh, if, uh, there are companies that will underwrite farmers. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're about three times more likely to be disabled in your working years than to lose your life. Uh, but also life insurance, I think, is important, uh, both on the parents and on the kids, because if uh, that uh, son that or daughter that's farming with dad all of a sudden is is gone through a, an accident and we got to remember that farming is a dangerous occupation and and bad things happen and we hear about it every year and so it's best to cover those risks since uh, most farmers are asset rich and, and cash poor and so sometimes there's there's a severe loss if if something bad happens We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors, Carson Private Client. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Okay, let's continue our episode. We talked a little bit earlier about transitioning the farm, transitioning the land, transitioning the operation. What are the types of things? Now, interestingly, I have to say that a lot of my clients in agricultural industries are still farming in their very late years. Yeah. Is that really common in what you see? It seems to be really common with those that I represent. I got a guy who's like 92 and he's, 
his kids are farming with him going, we really think he needs to get off the tractor. Yeah. Right? It, and, and I would say that it is. I mean, I think there is a, a love for the land. And I would say that a lot of farmers and ranchers, uh, I mean, I've got a, a client out in western Nebraska that's a rancher, has been for years. I mean, he's 85 years old, and, and he still goes out and gets on the horse and checks the cattle every morning. And so uh, I think that there is a love for the land. There's a love for agriculture that's probably different than any other business, and it's and they're very unique in that. And a lot of it is they grew up with it. They, you know, they used to play on the, they used to go swimming in those ponds and they used to, you know, uh, climb in those trees and so forth. And so the, it's, it's, it's a lifelong thing and they don't feel comfortable doing anything else. I know my own father, uh, until he lost his eyesight to macular degeneration, yeah, we had to take away the keys of the combine from him because he still wanted to go out and, and uh, operate the combine even though he was l- legally blind. So I think uh, those those things are, are, are all interesting things, interesting dynamics that happen and that are kind of unique to farming. And so a lot of times there's not an emotional readiness uh, for them to, to turn it over to, to the son or I had a 80 something farmer tell me, well, I just don't know that my son is ready to take over the operation. Well, his son was 50 something. So, you know, if he's not ready now, when is he ready? But there is that control that takes place. And sometimes it's, you know, the father and son relationship is not such that there's a, there's a strong trust uh, going on there. So that's all something that you help have to help people navigate through. And, and sometimes the kids have control issues. Sometimes the dad and, and mom have control issues issues. Uh, are they ready to retire? Can they, even if they're emotionally ready, do, do they, are they financially ready? Will they need rent from the land or, you know, can the kids uh, rent it uh, or farm it for rent free for a few years to get them going? Uh, again, some of the issues that Monty was talking about, is it in an LLC? I mean, can they, can they somehow gift uh, parts of that LLC so that they can can retain ownership and still uh, control the land and and control uh, some of the operation and and take an income off of it. And how much social security do they have in place? Any other assets that they have in place? I will say that most farmers don't have IRAs. Their IRA is the land that they're, they're farming. Uh, So, and and also, you know, you you have to take into account the, you know, the generation that's coming in, are they uh, financially ready to take over? Uh, and again, Jim Monty kind of touched on it, the health issues that come into play. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, there's interference also from the, from the non-farm uh, family members that, you know, think that they need to be involved in that too. So Monty, you talked about some of the things about transitioning the, you know, farm or the farm operations land. Is there anything else you'd want to add to what you said earlier? Yeah, just expound a little bit on that. There, there are ways, you know, um, I alluded to it previously, uh, typically the entity of choice for farm operations will be the limited liability company. There may be other avenues to pursue, cor- um, you know, S corporation structure, so forth, but typically the LLC is the best. And, 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 what you can do is you can divide the land into a separate LLC and then the operational aspects in a se- into a separate LLC apart from that and keep those two apart. And perhaps some of the land structure would be owned by the, non, the non-farm members of the family. And so the, the cash from the operations might be able to, to buy the LLC units. It's an easier way to transition it rather than trying to break up parcels of land and so forth you know, LLC units can be transferred over. 
and eventually the on-farm sibling uh, can can purchase and have those interests. The other parties will have that, and it can be done more seamlessly rather than trying to sell the south 40 of the, of, the, of the northeast section or something of that nature. That's one way to do it. And the other thing that shouldn't be discounted in terms of risk management, which I would think insurance companies would love this, is, of course, having that LLC entity around it because it does give another layer of protection to the farmer and liability as well, too. And that's that's a real uh, important facet. And then one other thing, too, is sometimes when you have more than one sibling on the farm, you might have two or three you might have some members of the family that would rather run the hog operation. Some would rather do strictly cash crop, and that could be an equitable way of dividing those interests too and seeing how they stand alone on and, and eliminate some of the obscurity in accounting if they were all commingled together. And that's another way to keep things fairly straight among family members and hopefully mitigate problems. And then the other last thing kind of, playing into what Brian was saying, uh, dovetailing into what Brian was saying about, you know, unwillingness to give up control. You know, we can all, you know, we can all set up structures where there are people that have non-voting units, namely the next generation that isn't ready to take over the farm, even though they're in their 50s. And you can give that patriarch or matriarch of the family that feeling that they're still in control, that they have the voting interests and so forth, too. So that's maybe a, a way of easing some of those family dynamics you run into emotionally. And so and I just have to add a comment that in some of the work I do with ag clients, what well you said you use it, might use an LLC for the operations. Uh, that's been really common and really typical. Recently, we currently have a 21% tax rate in for C corporations. So in the last few years, I've been looking at the C corporation context a little more in the egg industry than I had historically. Some other businesses like a service business doesn't really make sense because they're going to bring it all in, bring it all out. Right. But your right. agricultural client is, you know, they always have the cash flow issues that Brian mentioned are really common. So in some cases, it's not for everybody. It's at least something, a tool that I've been throwing out there. And the LLC concept, you really have to, it's a great tool for management, for passing on. You can give non-voting units to the non-involved members. You can put the transfer restrictions and buyout rules that are going to happen. Like you might give the kids who are operating the farms the right to ultimately buy out. But you do have to be just a little careful in that when you start putting land into LLCs, you can cost yourself a step up in basis. Now, obviously, we don't know what the step up in basis in the rules are going to be a year from now, but at this point, you can. So you have to kind of think through the total value from an estate tax purpose and whether you want to. So I have to say sometimes I may use more than one LLC so that I have a single-member LLC where I will get the step up in basis and keep that in place and use a different entity for gifting. It gets a little complicated, which, you know, when you're dealing with the egg clients, they're like, I want this simple. Well, actually, a lot of clients say that, and it's not necessarily so simple. Well, Brian, did you have any additional thoughts on Yeah, that? I mean, just uh, dovetailing off what you just said, Mary, I, I, what I a lot of times uh, see happen, and I think it works pretty well, is, is putting the uh, equipment, the cattle, uh, the operating, what it takes for that individual to operate in one LLC. And I don't want to get, tread on you guys' uh, land here because because you guys are the experts in this. But put all of that. So if you have a 
son or a daughter that's in the operation, there are certain things that he needs to have, he or she needs to have just to continue the operation. Put all of those into one LLC and then separate the land over to, into a separate LLC. And maybe, you know, if there's ranch land, farmland, maybe three LLCs, you know, a cattle company and a land company, uh, something to that effect. Because it, it, uh, there are certain things that, you know, you, you, they just have to be there for a person to continue in in the in the operation, and uh, sometimes and that's we, the general strategy that we like. Yeah, and especially like you earlier mentioned some of the risks and the liabilities. Right, we've seen some really serious incidents, so that's yeah. I think. And it's so a, a lot of times we'll look at you know moving those, and I'm sure this is something you guys do too is move those assets in that operating part over to the to the person that's operating it. Uh, to the son, so the son and daughter at the at the death, he owns that part of it, and so the operation will continue. It's just a matter of, you know, then what he can negotiate uh, with the sister. And I think, in getting back to your question, I think uh, I think the basic thing, and it seems pretty silly to even discuss it here, but the the first question is: there a plan in place? Is there a secession plan in place? You know, that seems basic to us because that's what we do every day. Uh, but the USDA uh, they did a, a study a while back, and it said that fifty three percent of farmers that plan to retire in the next five years have no plan in place whatsoever and and how they're going to make that happen and and another uh interesting statistic came out of the the farm journal they said that 90 percent of second generation farmer operations do not make it to the third third generation so that's kind of sobering when you think about it and but if you grew up in that farm operation you kind of understand brothers and sisters don't always get get along well and so if they're forced into business together after the death of the parent that doesn't always work and especially even if brother and sister or brother and brother or sister and sister can get along their kids may not get along with each other so all of a sudden you've got cousins working with each other and trying to make decisions together and so at some point I think that you know it makes sense for uh, you know to for the farm operation to go to one uh, one of the siblings and maybe it's a deal where you divide the the, maybe the farm doesn't generate enough to, to support two on the farm. So there's only one. So, well, then we have to, you know, honestly, that makes my job pretty easy. Okay, a life insurance policy will take care of those that are off the farm. Uh, but so then you have to ask the question, is the farm, or can we expand our farm or operation so it takes care of two? Uh, or should we look at splitting it into two parts? Uh, Monique kind of talked about it earlier. Maybe there's the ranch part and the farm part, like the the uh, operation that I grew up on and so maybe it makes more sense for you know Johnny to own this part and and uh, Jill to own this part over here and so uh, you know the the big thing is is that you know everybody needs to figure out an equitable way and a good way to keep it keep it together and uh, so you know I think the question is does it does it stay in a single unit or is it split into two and uh, and are the sons and the daughters ready to operate that operation so I think that's a significant issue and we see a bunch of dif- different structures like that. Now we've seen situations where the thought process on the senior generation was in fact to split it up, but sometimes the kids want to keep it together because they think more land, more more ability to and to share that. And this so it's an interesting question, but the key point I think that you've made is there needs to be some planning. Absolutely. Right? Ahead. Absolutely. And so we're just about out of time, Monty, and so I was just gonna ask you briefly you know I get asked a lot and I get sent so you see the different journals my clients in the agriculture interest are industry are always sending me articles from the farm magazines about this or that and one of them is hey the revocable trust 
the revocable trust is the magic solution to everything, is it? Well, it, it, it's a good it's a good base uh, planning tool at the front end, and depending upon the size of the operation and the value of the operation, it may have to dove, dovetail into more complex in, uh, instruments. Like in addition to the revocable trust, there may be the need to. Uh, set up an irrevocable trust and, and do an annual gifting program of LLC units. So it's now a, just that that assumes that the yeah. value exceeds the estate tax exemption. I just Correct. want to make that clarification. Correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. Uh, but the revocable trust is a good starting place, and um, it's a good way you can tr- you know place your LLC units and your other assets in there. And then at the death of the creators of that trust, it becomes irrevocable. And at that point, there should be some basic succession, you know, uh, provisions in that trust that should should lead to a ready disposition to the next generation at the death of that person. And again, another layer of asset protection because now you have an LLC wrapped within a trust so i mean those are all good those are all good ideas and 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 revocable trust gives people a lot of flexibility while they're still alive too thanks bonnie so brian do you have some last thoughts you would like to add well i would say yeah i totally agree i mean i'm not going to get into you guys area of expertise i'm always amazed when i when i take a case into a firm like yours and you guys just take over and you say well we can do this this and this because that's when when my eyes kind of glaze over and i just let you guys do what you do best and and i think that that's important in any planning team uh that everybody brings to the table what they do best and trust the others to do it do it the right way i i think that uh the whole key, I, I think, as I see it, is that that individual who is on the farm or individuals, if there's more than one, that they have what they need to continue operating that. So if that means putting a buy-sell agreement uh, in place between dad and son or daughter that's that's going to be taking over so that they can buy out that uh, trust or they can buy out their siblings. Uh, so, you know, that's that's an important part of this as well. Well, thanks, Brian, for being here today. Thanks, Monty. As we get to the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal and Carson Private Client. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. A Huda Media Production.